Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer Podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Welcome to another episode of the OYMB Podcast. I'm your guest host, Chris Laping, and I am so excited about today's show for so many reasons. First, over the coming weeks and months, we're going to be working to improve this podcast. You know, when I'm coaching the Mastermind program, I always emphasize that we only need to get 1% better every day and it can make a huge difference in our lives. Well, it's the same with this podcast. Hopefully you're going to notice little 1% improvements here and there. So one of the improvements that I'm excited about is that I now have a co-host, the smart and talented Christine Laping. Say hello, Christine. Hello. How did you like that intro? That was pretty bold, but, um, you know, I must just get it out of the way. You're pretty sneaky because when I was a guest on a couple of the previous episodes, were you auditioning me? <laughs> I did not know. I think I was in an audition. It was better that I didn't formally tell you that I was interested in you being a co-host just in case it didn't go well when we were recording. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're probably right. Well, I'm happy to be here. Well, and you did a great job on those episodes. We got great feedback from people about it. I know you're an introverted person. So thank you again for agreeing to go further than being a guest and to actually be a co-host. Well, I hope I please the public. So well, we will find out. Yeah, we will. Okay. So listen, I'm excited you're here, but here's what I'm most excited about this week. I'm most excited about this week's guest. Raquel Hanna. If you watch any of the OYMB lives, you may have already seen Raquel. She is a one-to-one -one coach in the OYMB community. But in addition to being a coach, she's also a musician and has an album out titled Other Side of Blue. Yeah, so can I tell you, in preparation of this conversation, I listened to her album today twice Back to back, yes, I was scrubbing floors and cleaning toilets, but I had the same exact emotion as I did years ago when I was introduced to John Legend's album, Get Lifted. I kid you not. And I was singing. I had headphones on, so you probably heard me trying to sing along, and I do not sound like Raquel. <laughs> but I loved it, and I am so happy this is part of my library now. I am so geeked out, too, that we're going to have this conversation with Raquel. When I downloaded her album from iTunes, I didn't know what to expect, but I was jumping in and supporting and, and um, uh, wanting to make sure that an OYMB coach had her albums downloaded. 
And I just love it. Yeah. Can I tell you her title track song, The Other Side of Blue? I wrote these lyrics down. I haven't told you yet, but I've already started grieving you, patiently waiting to come out renewed on the other side of blue, on the other side of you. And I'm sure it was written about a relationship, but that was so applicable to the alcohol journey Mm. because you have to grieve your old self. And so I just found little bits and pieces that were so relevant to the alcohol-free journey throughout the entire album. Again, I loved it. I'm a fan. Well, we're like like immediate super fans here. And so we'll have a chance to talk to her in a minute about all of this stuff. So there are two parts to Raquel's story that I think all of you listening will really enjoy today. First, she has an important story about breaking the cycle. And when I say breaking the cycle, I mean breaking the cycle of our upbringing and breaking through all of the baggage we carry consciously and unconsciously from our childhood. So I think especially about people on their alcohol-free journeys who uh, are mostly drinking because they grew up in homes where it was highly normalized. The second part of Raquel's story is about how we can live a life of abundance and bliss. And of course, we are going to talk about her wonderful music. So I want to welcome the show to the show, Raquel Hanna. Hello, Raquel. Hey there, Chris and Christine. I'm so delighted to be here with you. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Well, we are excited to have you here, Raquel. And I should say to everyone listening that you agreed to do this recording with us on a Saturday in the middle of a move. You're in the middle of a big move right now, yes? I am. I am. Um, I'm moving to San Diego. I'm currently in Los Angeles, California. Um, Wasn't terribly planned, but I think with the stillness of the time that we're in right now, I was able to realize that I needed to make this change, and I'm very excited. But yes, I am. Um, looking at boxes I'm packing up today, and I'm so delighted to have the opportunity to chat with you while I'm in the midst of all of this. Well, thank you for taking a break. We have moved so many times in the Laping House, and um, it is not an enjoyable activity. So um, thank you for taking the break and meeting with us. Yeah, what would you have done, Christine, if I ever asked you to stop in the middle of packing up boxes to do a podcast like this? Um. <laughs> There was a big eye roll happening right there for anybody who can't see us. One time, Chris went out of town on a business trip during a move, and I ended up packing up by ourselves. And watching three kids while that was going on. That was not, I I was not in the Hall of Fame of husbands at that point. (laughs) So, um, Raquel, let's let's jump right into our chat. And here's where I'd love to start. I want to start where I normally start in these podcasts, which is to focus on like here and now. You have such an interesting mix of skills. Uh, On one hand, you're a life and transformational coach. And on the other hand, you're a wildly talented musician. So my question to just sort of kick this off is how did that happen? And when you meet new people, how do you describe yourself? Do you first mention being a musician or do you mention the coach side or do the two of these things really fit a lot more closely together than I'm giving it credit for. 
You know, that's a beautiful question. Um, I actually did my own little dance with this for many years. I was trying to pick one or the other. Um, but ultimately, as my life played out and my work played out, it, it really came together as one. Um, my passion for music, I've always known that was there. I'm a Baptist preacher's kid. Both of my parents sing. Um, I'm in a family of singers. And so that's always been there. I didn't know I'd end up as a coach. I think that just came as a result of my own transformational journey. It was a natural progression. Uh, but over time, they've come together. And I've, I've had times where I'll be on stage singing a song and someone will come to me and said, you were coaching me while you were singing. Like I felt the energy of change in your music. Um, and, and there are times where I might sing, um, when I'm doing a coach video, um, in AFM, our alcohol free me mini program. I've done that a couple of times and it sometimes it helps to relay the message and also open the heart. So I think they work fairly well together at this time in, in my journey. I kind of feel like I'm going to cry right now. Yeah, I think <laughs> there is a good chance sometime in this podcast, one of us are going to cry. So you will, cr you will actually, I was going to ask, would you cry <laughs> with a client? Would you, when you're coaching someone, you will sing to someone you're coaching? I've done, I've done that before. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, when it's fine, I will. It doesn't happen often, but it, but it has happened. <laughs> So when you were younger, you could imagine the singing part when you got older, but you didn't necessarily picture the coaching part. Um, and Not at all. Not at all. Had no idea. Had no idea this was part of my journey. And, you know, I think there are times in my life where um, I didn't have access to my voice, even as a singer. There were messages that I was given um, that, that just relayed to me that I wasn't the real thing. And so I, over time, I just wasn't using my voice at all. And I think while I was reclaiming my singer voice, I found my coach voice and mm. they, they just have merged together and come together. Um, when I look back at my childhood, there were moments where, you know, I, I always had a few people who would come to me for advice. So it was probably always latent and there, uh, but I just didn't know it. I, ha I had no clue. Well, and I love what you're saying. So in the introduction, I talked about the lyric that came out of the other side of blue, but um you know, again, throughout your entire album, I picked these lyrics and I found motivation or I found comfort or I found strength. And so, again, it is so applicable to the counseling or coaching world. Um, music is just so impactful and in, in moves us. And, you know, your Time's Up song, when that track started, I was like, ooh, this has a little bit of a Justin Timberlake beat. And I'm, I'm you know, moving around as I'm mopping the floor. And then all of a sudden your lyrics come in that girls are here to stay. It's time we make a change. And I'm like, yes, we, we need this message right now. So um, I love what you're saying. It's so beautiful. Well, and I think it's wonderful that you're using music as a platform to do something really positive because mm -hmm. um, that kind of goes in all different directions in the in the music world. But let's let's go back in time now, because the part of what really draws me into your story and, and you mentioned this a, a little bit um, when you talked about your upbringing um, is the, the thing that draws me in is the weightiness of your childhood. And I want to read an excerpt from your website, and um, and, and I, want to, I want to talk about it. So on your website, you say, Because of what I have observed as a child, as an adult, I was committed to achieving true health, 
true abundance, true romance, not a false picture of the same. Raquel, will you tell me more about your childhood and the kind of things that you're talking about or referencing in that excerpt? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I'm a, a preacher's kid raised in a Baptist church down in Houston, Texas. And um, we went to church every single Sunday, Wednesday, some Fridays, uh, every first Saturday. Um, we were at church all the time. And I always had this question in the back of my mind. Um, why are we going to church so much and nothing is changing mm -hmm. at home? Uh, I had a mother who was raised by um, a father who was an alcoholic, um, mentally ill. Her mother was mentally ill, my grandmother, and she had a lot of wounds. And my father was a little bit healthier, but still had his own story, had his own past. And there was just no transformation. There was no healing. There was no evolution, even though we were going to church and listening to a message of change all the time. And um I wanted more. I wanted to see change. I wanted the work, the spiritual work that I did to become something. And this question that I had as a child ended up really influencing my decisions as an adult to pursue what I wished for, what I wondered, what I questioned. And, you know, there was a lot of um, religious control in my childhood because there was pain and, and trauma from my mother's side. Um, it was religion and, and abuse mixed together at home. And um, it just created a lot of hardship for me in finding my identity. Um, I, I felt very alone throughout my entire childhood. And I, I just couldn't find my way. I didn't know where I fit, where I belonged. And, and it created a, a big gap, um, a bit of separation for me in my identity, as well as it, it created a pathway of having a really hard time building uh, close, intimate connections and, and friendships. And these are Im imperative for me. This is the only thing that I wanted was connection, but it escaped me often because of the uh, system that, that I was raised in. Mm. I can't even imagine if your dad was a preacher and you're in church, it feels like you'd have all eyeballs on you and your family, mm -hmm. just watching mm -hmm. your every move, your behaviors. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. if you would misbehave or say something out of line, how mm -hmm. the weight of how that would impact even your father in that mm -hmm. situation must have been really tough. Yeah, I, I playfully say, um, you know, one of the the sentences is probably still playing out in my unconscious mind on a repeat script is don't you know your daddy is a preacher <laughs> everything that we did um, was was we were reminded that all eyes were on us and there was an idea that we have to keep this perception uh, but we didn't land into actually creating that m making that perception real um authentic like our authentic life it would have been beautiful to have that perception and the actual experience but the focus was on creating that perception mm -hmm. which is uh, what i believe created the biggest um disconnect um in my childhood experiences that we had to show up like it was beautiful but it was the opposite so can you paint the picture a little bit of what that looks like when you say the opposite what kinds of things were going on at home that just mm -hmm. you knew in the back of your mind that if the um, the parishioners at the church were to see this, it would be, you know, really bad 
Yeah. So it was, it was there was some physical abuse, um, and and some of it justified, uh, not justified, but they justified it um, with, you know, there was a Bible scripture, spare, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, and so there was a, a, a Texas-sized belt hanging on our, our stairway banister mm. um, that, as a constant reminder that there was a punishment on the other side of any mistake. And when I look back at my childhood, I was actually, a re- I really tried to be obedient, so I still can't justify the number of uh, whoopings that I received. Mm. So that was part of the physical abuse, and, and there were, it was not about discipline, it was about releasing anger. But it was used in a way, again, like it was justifiable because of that Bible scripture. And then there were other times where it wasn't a belt. It was a fist or um, a lot of verbal abuse. So that part of it was, you know, obviously difficult. But even more insidious was the system of shame that my family operated in. And there's a book called Healing the Shame That Binds You by a gentleman named John Bradshaw. And he talks about family systems when uh, one parent... Um, is particularly wounded, like my mother, and um, they don't know how to adult and how to be the parent, and they're not whole, they're not self-actualized or healed, they will unconsciously create a family system that that serves them, that creates safety for them, that protects them instead of the children, which is the system that that we all dream of. Um, And so in my family system, I was given the role of scapegoat. And there are also other roles like hero, the child that's always the the child that that proves that the parent is good. And then there's always the the child that carries the, the shame, that carries whatever goes wrong in the family system, because that's what the parent needs. They need somewhere to put that because they don't know how to relate and grow and transform. So I was a lucky child with that role. Um, and so that also created such uh, such hardship uh, to know that I was trying so hard to be uh, exactly what they asked, but I didn't stand a chance uh, hmm. because I had that role. There was no chance for me to um, be accepted, to be seen, to be received fully because I, she needed me in that role. And, um, and so that probably was harder than even the, 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 the physical things because there was, there was no hope for um, change and being seen and acknowledged for who I was really, who I really was and who I was trying and striving to be my entire childhood. That is so heavy. What, what did you do during that time? Like, how did you get solace and, um, and escape from this? Like, how are you coping with this? I fantasized a lot. <laughs> I daydreamed a lot about better, about connection and having community. Um, because I went to church uh, so much, I also created some bonds with people at church. Um, and that was also very healing and healthy for me uh, to have people that could see me um, at least two, three times a week, uh, wherever I would go. So I think those two things together, my imagination and um, the connections at church really supported me. You know, on other podcasts, I've mentioned this and and I talk about this in Mastermind when I'm coaching the masterminders. When we have these traumatic things happen in our lives, we have three choices. We The first choice is to just avoid them. And especially for people on their alcohol-free journey, they they had chosen for years to mask the pain and struggle 
with alcohol. It was just an avoidance tactic. Now, the second choice is that we have to um, change our uh, our beliefs about those things that have happened, right? It's not events that shape our lives. It's our beliefs about those events. And then the third option is it's something really bad happens and um, we learn from it and it sort of shapes and changes our behaviors um, going into the future. Where do you where where do you think you were falling on that spectrum as perhaps a teenager or even in your early adulthood when you were carrying around this burden and struggle that came with some of this pain and heart heartbreak of your upbringing? I probably fell in plan A um, of the unconscious pattern of just finding ways to cope, um, creating. Uh, I, I actually had a therapist share this with me, and it's it's a mantra that I live by now, something that probably all of my clients hear me say at least once or 15 times. Um, in our adult lives, we are always working through our unfinished childhood business. We're mm. either doing it consciously or unconsciously. And I think for many of us, when we end up in our habit loops around alcohol or codependent relationships, food, other substances, whatever it might be, gambling behaviors, um, that's the unconscious attempt to find peace, attempt to, to soothe or numb what journey we are in, the, the, the subconscious script that is playing in the back of our minds about who we are, our identity, that unfinished business, those wounds that need to be healed, those emotions that need to be felt. Uh, we are just playing them out as best that we can, but it's in an unconscious way. And I think that when we begin to wake up, and this is what I share with all, all of my clients um, at One Year No Beer and, and otherwise, that it's the gift. It's the gift of these habits. It's the gift that, that we even have them because we have them, we wake up. We Even if we can't see what we need to wake up to, the pain of our habits create an, a requirement that we must wake up to see what's really going on and to do the deeper work to become conscious to what needs to be healed, transformed, those beliefs that need to be changed. Mm. And so I started out in just the habit loop of just coping. Um, I still had questions. I was always curious, but I started out there, but eventually that evolved into the conscious working out of my unfinished childhood business, which brought me to where I am today. So was it a breakthrough moment that caused you to start processing this or was it just a lot of small things over time? Um, I would say there are probably, it's probably a combination. Um, many of my habits were still, were while I was trying to work it out. I just didn't know how. I didn't have enough support to do it without the habit at the time. Um, but I did have a moment in my um, in my life where I was just so overwhelmed. I was so lost. I was so lonely. And I was very hopeless. Um, I spent many years of my life in, in a bit of depression. Um, even from childhood, very early on, I was I was depressed. And so there were moments where I wasn't even sure I would survive, but I had this one particular moment. I was crying. I was um, just so lost and I could see my future. 
I, I don't know what happened. It was like a vision. It was like a clear moment of clarity for um, a moment of clarity for me where I could see what was before me. And it was like a, a fork in the road moment where it was either I was going to repeat what my mother had done. I was going to stay in the pain. I was going to stay in the wound like she did. Um, my mother, there's a quote by, um, I believe it's Amanda Owen. She says that the woman I was meant to call my mother was silenced before I was born. Mm. And I, I know now more than ever that my mother was a beautiful person who was just silenced before I arrived. And she never found her way to freedom. She never found her way to peace and wholeness. And I could see that that was, that was a possibility for me as well. But, but the alternative was something else, which I didn't even know what it was. Um, I often say when I give the speech, I didn't even know what to call this something else, but it was the opposite of whatever, whatever I knew, what I could see I could become. I had a clear vision of what I could become and I knew I didn't want that. And then I just knew I wanted the other, whatever that was. And, I, I now realized that in that moment, I chose healing. Um, I didn't know what to call it, but I chose the path of transformation. And it was just one step at a time. It was one moment at a time. I, I've had probably like four or five different therapists, and each one had their own skill set until I found the real one, the one that really helped me transform. But I just stayed in the conversation for years until I could figure it out. But while I was moving, I, I still had some of those habits. I was still working through the unfinished business, but I was just slowly becoming conscious one step at a time. And this is something that I, I share with my clients often that it's more important that you build your relationship with yourself than you create perfection in your transformation. Many times we're seeking perfection in the transformation and that's not necessary. It's consistency. It's follow through. That's what's most important. And doing it with foundation of wanting to connect with yourself will make it so much easier and even speed it along, uh, but from the right place. And don't you find people are so tough on themselves, like even when they consistently show up, um, I think people expect like linear progress, right? That every day they're going to improve the same amount for all of their effort and it doesn't work out that way. So they start to really get down on themselves. Um, I saw a, a post the other day. Um, from someone who is got a goal to write a book and the first um, step in that process for her is to write 400 words every day and so she said she woke up that day feeling like a lot of energy and thought I'm going to write a thousand words but she ended up getting caught up in actually some very healthy habits in her life she just got really caught up in her quiet time and and working out and so she couldn't write her um, thousand words, which was the stretch goal. So she only got the 600. So the goal is 400 every day. She shows up thinking she's going to do a thousand. So she gets to 600 and she actually thought that she failed that day. Mm. And it's crazy because I just think so many people do make progress when they show up. You just show up every day. I love what you said in the storytelling about your mom, too, and I just want to call that point out um, because you chose to break a cycle. And I think that is so important that people need to give themselves credit just for that step in the process. 
so many people mm. um, unconsciously just repeat the same behaviors as their parents had and their parents had and so on and so forth. And my sister and I talk about this a lot because we grew up in a household of daily drinking and neither one of us drink right now. And we're, we consciously chose to break that cycle and the power, the energy that comes just from that decision is so amazing. And mm -hmm. I just want to celebrate you because um, clearly, like you said, you didn't quite know what your future looked like, but you mm -hmm. did that. And like, look at you now and look how many lives you touch in such a positive mm -hmm. way, both through your counseling and through your music. It's just amazing and beautiful. Going back to your excerpt on the website about seeking true abundance for yourself. Um, and what I'll say is it's not just in that excerpt. I spent a lot of time on your website. And if anybody did the word count on uh, the word abundance, it's just all over the site. And so I would love to know, what does that mean to you personally when you talk about true abundance and bliss? Thank you for that question. I have a smile on my face just with you asking it. Um, I, I, I really connected with what you said a, a few minutes ago, Chris, about your client who was beating herself up over her word count, even though she had exceeded the real goal, she didn't feel like it was enough. And I think we find ourselves when we're in our transformation journey and we're trying to get to a specific destination, uh, whatever that is, uh, many times I ask my clients, well, where are you going so in such a hurry? Um, many times they don't know. They're just trying to get anywhere but here. And when we're trying to move and transform and create better habits and behaviors, uh, we can be very hard on ourselves. Um, I playfully say that sometimes we can become our parents to ourselves. Like I had the uh, Texas-sized uh, belt over the stairway banister in my childhood. I became the carrier of the belt. I became the mm. figurative person that beat myself up um, in my mind and with the way that I treated myself on my journey. Even when I was I was doing sessions with therapists and coaches at the same time, there was a time where I was actually paying more for my therapy and coaching monthly than I was paying for my rent. Um, and I was still beating myself up. And so this was a hard-earned uh, hard lesson uh, to transition from the striving in change and moving that to following your bliss, doing what you love. There's a quote by Joseph Campbell. He says, follow your bliss and the universe will open doors for you where there were only walls. Mm. And I believe that when we add bliss, as the foundation of our change, we can create transformation from a place of self-connection instead of perfection. Wow. We can find our way into our best lives through our bliss. That's the door. That's the door to every change that you're seeking to make is connecting with what you love. And for, for me, that's music. Um, I also really enjoy coaching and teaching. I'm excited right now, even as we're talking. Um, you know, following what you love and using that as a foundation for your change, it will absolutely transform and it will help you to be kinder to yourself along the path. Mm. You know, um, the thing is, and maybe you see this with your clients too, Raquel, or you've seen this in your own life, the thing is, like this person that I was talking about who was really hard on herself because she didn't get to that stretch goal of a thousand words, 
in my view, she's actually one of the strongest people that I've ever had the opportunity mm -hmm. to work with and coach. I mean, mm -hmm. she shows up every day and puts so much thought and care into what she's doing. And so what I wonder, and, and I wonder if any listener right now to this podcast might be in this situation, they hear what you are saying and they want that for themselves, but they just don't believe they can get that. That they might say to you, well, Raquel, that's way easier said than done. What would you say to them? Well, I think the, the first question is, uh, what, what is it that you're truly looking for? I think that's a question that needs to be addressed when we're constantly in the striving. Um, it makes me think of little dogs when you see a dog held over water and they're, you know, moving their legs like they're in the water, even though they're not. Um, <laughs> many times I feel like that's what we're doing when we're in the path of change. We're just moving, 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 but we're not really connected to what we're moving toward. And beneath that are the, the false beliefs that are driving the way that we're treating ourselves. So really taking the time to slow down. Um, I say this to all of my uh, one-year no-beer clients. Change is slower than we want it to be. It doesn't have to be snail-like slow, but it's always slower than we want it to be. So you want it, oftentimes, the first thing you need to do is to set appropriate expectations uh, with the understanding of what you're truly moving toward. And if you can't rightly answer that question, like what is it that you're really going for, then that's when you want to slow down so that you can understand where you're going. You don't want to get in a car, turn it on, and have no map, no idea of where we're going. So really get clear. What is the destination? And, and then what's the why? Why do you want to get there? And, and most of the times when we're beating ourselves up, we're, we're not actually moving, we're not beating ourselves up because we're not at the destination. We're, we're beating ourselves up because we're, we're not even in touch with where we're going or why, the real why we, we want to get there. And so we want to look for those beliefs that are driving us. Are we, are we really just looking for worthiness? And is that where worthiness comes from? Does it come from getting a book done? Does it come from getting out done? Does it come from finding the right partner? Does it come from being alcohol-free? Mm. And no, Where do we need to reposition our, our mindset so that we can show up fully? Go ahead. I was going to say, and don't you think that there's a step of forgiveness in there? So I, I keep referring mm -hmm. back to the lyrics of the songs on your album because it's so fresh in, in my mind from this morning. Mm -hmm. um, but on track mm -hmm. six, you had this lyric, and again, I'm sure – it might have been about a relationship with another person, but I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And again, for me, going through the alcohol-free journey, we recently hit our two-year milestone. Those lyrics were so important because I had to go through this forgiveness of myself for the things that I had done, the person I was then, and only until I went through that step of forgiveness could I get real clear about my new mm -hmm. bliss, if you will. I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, releasing yourself and giving yourself permission to have been imperfect in the past, um, to not know what you know now so that you can move into your next best expression absolutely is an imperative step to our transformation. Yeah, it's getting past the shame and regret 
of our past mm-hmm. and really turning it into mm-hmm. learning and growing. How do you, what would you recommend to, to people in terms of doing some of this deep work related to their purpose and their identity and connecting to why? Um, is there some easy steps people could follow for that? Is that something they should be doing with a coach or is that something that they can do on their own and they just need to get away from the noise? Are there things conditions wise, I guess is what I'm getting at, that we could give um, tips and tricks to the listeners on how to start really digging in on these things you're talking about? Yeah, so I think we we all show up at whatever stage we are um, on the transformation. We show up as best that we know how. And from there, we can add in whatever it is we're ready for today. So I, I think the first step would be checking in with yourself and asking, what am I ready for today? Many people that I work with, they think that they have to uh, immediately dive into the deep end of their change. And I think that, again, is that voice of striving, that voice of pressure or trying to escape past or whatever it might be. And so being in touch with where you are today and, and checking in, like, what am I ready for? And knowing that it's most important that you take a step. It doesn't have to be the biggest step. Martin Luther King has a quote. He says, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. Mm. And so that first step is more important than anything else. And then just following that up with another. So so, some first steps that I think are very helpful. Um, I have a a quote that I share often um, in, in some of my lives at One Year No Beer. Uh, from Louise Hay and Cheryl Richardson, they have a book called You Can Create an Exceptional Life. And one of the chapters is how you start your day is how you live your day. And that's followed by the next chapter, which is how you live your day is how you live your life. Mm. And so sometimes the first step is just being in touch with the start of your day, connecting with yourself, making sure that you're the priority at the beginning of every day and that you honor the experience that you want to have for the day at the top of the day. That could be by adding in a beautiful song or taking some time to meditate, journal. Um, it could be calling a good friend or something that I do if I'm feeling like really just chill and wanting to relax. I might just go and find a funny video to watch just to, to lighten the energy of the day. Mm-hmm. To break the cycle of waking up, immediately getting into work and striving all day long. Um, from there, you can add in other other behaviors like connecting with a therapist or a coach for some additional support. Um, you could also just pick up a good book. Uh, one of my favorite books for change is written by Debbie Ford. She has a book called um, The Dark Side of the Light Chaser. And this book is a really powerful book for self-actualization, getting to know yourself, getting to know your patterns, and starting with a great uh, self-help book might be the way, but just knowing what it is that you want. I think that's the first thing is like, what, what are you ready for? And letting yourself make that choice and build toward change. Because one thing that I believe happens when we take that first step is that the path becomes a little bit more clear. Um, I've had so many times where I've taken a first step and the very thing that I needed 
um, has found its way to me. I've, I've, I've heard it from many one-year no-beer, um, one-year no-beers who will say, you know, I knew I needed to make this change and all of a sudden I saw, um, I saw the page. And it's just, it finds you when you're willing to take the first step. So that's, that's where I would begin. That is such awesome advice. And I even hesitate to add anything to it because it was perfect standing alone on its own. And, but I, but it makes me think about, um, uh, this thought around there's a difference between going from zero to one and going from one to a thousand. And mm. that first step, that zero to one, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever new thing you're creating, new habit you are trying is a different issue than the one to a thousand. And what you can see happen sometimes with people is that they they are worried about the one to a thousand. Like if I do this today, how am I going to repeat this for the rest of my life? Or I'm or, thinking about the people who like have never ran and they're like, I'm going to run a marathon, like go right exactly. from. <laughs> and, or they go out and they run that first day and they really hurt themselves. And they're like, how am I going to show up and do this every day? And I think specifically in OYMB, the way this shows up is that people sign up for a 90 day challenge and their day, let's call it 48, 49. And they will say, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do on day 91. And they let the day 91 get in the way of just getting through the days now. Mm-hmm. They feel like they have to define the one to a thousand. It's taking, like you said, that first step. I love that whole notion of the first step. Um, and then that's how you start your day. And then that's how you start your life. It's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Again, I knew that was going to happen. I knew I was going to try to add something in there because I got so excited about your advice and I knew it probably wouldn't be additive. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks for man, man explaining. To yeah, us. I knew I, I thought there was going to be a chance I was going to get accused of mansplaining there. Um, and, you know, hey, rightfully, I'll own that if that's exactly what I did there, <laughs> by did. the way. I was just joking. No, no, I, I loved it because I, I think it brought back up, you know, one of the things that I mentioned earlier is change is slower than we want it to be. So knowing what it is that you're really going for. A lot of people are not actually trying to make the change for the right reason. Yeah. They are, they've misplaced their why or they've never gathered it. And so what you've just stated reminds us that it's so important to to slow down and to connect with your reason and make sure you're part of the reason. You are the priority. The accomplishment is secondary to you and your experience mm. in your life. And I think what you just said just anchored that in further. God, that is such great advice. Um, and it just hits me right in the heart for my own life and how I show up every day. Mm-hmm. So what what's next for you? you um, you've accomplished a lot uh, in your life. You've learned a lot. What kind of goals do you have for yourself in the future? And w- will you produce any more music? Uh, please say you will. <laughs> I'm sure that I will. It's not on my radar right at this moment. Um, I think the biggest thing that's next, I have a few friends. I've been in a, um, a a small mastermind group. I know that you run larger groups, but I've been in a small mastermind group with a few of my friends, and we've decided to create a space to help people, you know, follow their bliss um, and just connect 
Um, so we're working on getting that um, started in 2021. Um, we're, we're called the Do What You Love Tribe. So that's the next big thing on our radar and just wanting to hold more space for people to do what they love, um, find abundance um, in it to know that when you're when you're doing what you're here to do, some of the things that we worry about every day, when you're really in your purpose and you're connected with your authentic expression, those hardships just simply go away. Um, and so we're just wanting to create more space for that. I'm wanting to create more conversations around that. And um, and then I'm sure on the other side of that, I'll be making some music. Every now and again, I'll sit down and um, I'll have an idea and I'll hit the record button on my Mac. So I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's coming. Um, <laughs> but when it's right, it's not right next, but it, it's coming, I'm sure. I love it. I love it. We have three kids that are musicians. Um and we get down in our uh, our studio slash jam room, and um, it's such an important expression of our family. And um, and again, we are just so uh, blessed that we have gotten a chance to listen to your music, and I hope that you keep going with music. So Raquel, in your song, Never Ever Give Up, which I think is the perfect anthem for OYMBers on their journey, you sing, uh, you say in the song, or you sing in the song, in everyone's life, storms fall. Lessons to be learned. Sometimes you feel alone. But in that moment, when you're sure that you can't take it anymore, I'm sure you can. Look up. That's the perfect lead-in for... Uh, my final question, which is what advice do you have for people who are listening to this podcast who might feel alone or people who think they can't take anymore, um, especially people on their alcohol-free journey who just have so much doubt and fear? What do you say to them? You know, it brings to mind one of my one year no beer clients and he's given me permission to um, share share his first name, Jonathan. Um, he just reached his 365, and in his journey, he spent time in rehab. He spent time um, resetting over um, and over time again. He just couldn't figure it out, um, and he eventually found his way to One Year No Beer, um, was ready for the change, and has been working with me for the past year. And one of the things that he shared um, with with me recently as he hit his 365 is that he's just so so happy and so free and so um, is experiencing so much peace in his life and change in his family system and um, has a stronger identity with himself and he's happy that he found a path that he could actually achieve but the powerful thing about it is that he had all those moments of failure before and he just stayed in the conversation. He didn't give up. He followed through until the end. And I would invite everyone, no matter what the hardship is, no matter what the struggle, or it might not even be a hardship. We all have different journeys. All of us, you know, weren't raised in shame-based systems. It could just be a, a small problem that you're looking to solve or maybe a little bit overwhelmed. Whatever it might be is to believe, the, believe that you can get to the other side. And then stay in the conversation. There's one thing that I would do different. <laughs> if I can go back uh, to my younger self and say, just do this one thing different in your transformation, 
I would have believed more. I believed enough to try, which is good enough. It got me here. But I would have believed that I would have succeeded. So change your mindset about what you can. As Henry Ford says, uh, whether you believe you can or you believe you can, either way you're right. Believe you can Mm -hmm. and then stay in the conversation until you see change because you will see change. Yeah, I often chime in with people in the challengers group because when you hear people use language like, yeah, I can't drink, um, that sets the mind, right, where the body will go. Instead, it's I don't want to drink or I don't drink. And it's that belief that you're talking about and those positive affirmations. Well, Raquel, um, we were so honored to have you on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for letting us put a microphone in front of you, even though you're in the middle of a big move to another town. Mm -hmm. Um, And and for all of you listening today, I want to encourage you to check out Raquel's album. It's on iTunes. Again, it's called Other Side of Blue. Uh, and if you're okay with it, Raquel, I'm going to play a, sm- a small sample of your song, Never Ever Give Up, in the outro. Are you okay with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Play away. Okay, well, thank you again so much for being with us today. Yes, it was such it's such a wonderful experience. A delight to speak with you and Christine. I'm honored to be here with you and Wishing everyone listening, all the one year no beers and others, to success in your journeys. Um, keep it up. Um, you're doing great work. Well, thank you to all of you for tuning in to another episode of the OYMB podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share with a friend. And as always, I hope that you make it a great day. Bye. Bye. You feel like a hope is gone for you, you baby. But you just need to step up one step at a time. Keep it pushing, move on to the light. There's a miracle on the other side for you, you baby. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. One